Motorcycles and Misfits, not from the Recycle Garage, but we are in Santa Cruz, California. I don't know if it's sunny because I'm inside because we are on lockdown. We're doing things a little bit different this week. We are all on lockdown, so we're coming to you via Zoom conference. So let me tell you who is on with us. First up, we've got Miss Emma. Say hi. Aloha, darling. And um, I'm coming to you from sunny Monterey, California. And I'm also on lockdown. <laughs> so I'm in, I'm in my study, darling. I'm in nice. my study. Nice. All right, up next. <laughs> it's Bagel. <laughs> Greetings from the apocalypse. <laughs> I'm coming to you from oh. uh, the partly uh, cloudy Santa Cruz. At least it appears that way out my window. I would think so. And have also I, with us, it's Naked Jim. Put your pants on, Jim. Oh, hey. Oh, are you talking to me? Yeah. <laughs> I thought we were looking at the drapes. Yeah, fuck not. <laughs> so, yeah. hey, and everyone. This, this and is going to be my face for tonight. Oh, yes. Nice. <laughs> You're so proud. Oh, I just Should forgot you're videoing this. Uh-huh. Oh, shit. That's right. Oh, yep. We're going to have to get used to the whole video. <clears throat> there you yep. go. Hey, hey, everyone. If, I know, uh, well, I put pants on before we started. If you're new to this, hey, welcome. And I am Liza. I am the captain of this shit show. <laughs> 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 oh, aye, my aye. God. Um, so, yeah. So, we are officially on lockdown. Um, last week, we were cautious but still you know gathered and um i mean news is changing news is coming fast we're in let's see oh we're, we're doing this again so i thought we'd start saying the date because we never say the date today is march 22nd 2020 we are as i said last week in the middle of the coronavirus outbreak the covid19 every day there's new information things are shutting down um Sadly, I think one of the, the worst things, though, is all these events that we look forward to every year are canceling. Uh, this week, the Quail uh, Motorcycle Gathering canceled officially. And uh, the, oh, and, and Jim and I were planning on going to the uh, Carrizo Plains um, camp out. That got canceled. So events into April uh, are being canceled Um and April, yeah. Well, of course, the uh, big one, Liza, is the Isle of Man TT is cancelled. The Isle of Man TT. Crushing yeah. blow. Absolutely. I, I know there's a lot of people who are just beside themselves. Um, so it, it, all we can do is just get through this as best we're able and set our sights on 2021 and say, you know, we're just going to pull out all the stops. I, for one, if it's a motorcycle event in 2021, I'm going. Well, I'm going to the I can tell you, I mean, again, information is changing constantly. But as of today, right now, AMA Vintage Days is still happening. 
and I have been working with them on our participation this year. So, I mean, is that going to change? Maybe. I don't know. But uh, right now I'm clinging to it because right. that's a big deal. And there's one other thing. It's not official. It's still in the works. So as of right now, um, the Santa Cruz Moto Film Festival is still happening because we have not had our uh, orders extended into May yet. But assuming that it may get canceled, we are working on creating a virtual film festival that could be shared globally. So just want to let you know that that is something that we are already um, working on. Because, you know, we don't want people to go without I mean, I'm just so bummed about all the things getting canceled. I don't want people to be bummed about my event being canceled. So I'm going to figure out how to share it with even more people. Oh, I don't want to go without, darling. It's the worst thing in the world. Well, the reality is we've found so many amazing films. And if anything, there's a lot of films that we didn't have, weren't able to accept because we didn't have time for them in our time slot. But now we have a form that we can share some of these great films. So... I'm, I'm excited about the potential there. So n- more news to follow. I wanted to start out, though, with um, a big debate that is happening right now. Um, the debate about should we be riding or not? Have you guys been uh, seeing this happening? Yeah. Um, I've been following it on a lot of the Bay Area rider forums. I've been following it... Um, from the British perspective as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it's important to know that British Britain is not on lockdown yet. Well, Wait. two days ago, I think, the bars, restaurants, everything got shut. Right, exactly. Yeah. But they're not actually on lockdown. They're kind of where we were last week. Mm, exactly. But, you know, they're expecting a lockdown <clears throat> pretty much any day now. But, of course, the big discussion is should you go out on your bike or not? Um, very valid points on either side. Um, so one of the things uh, to bring up is that uh, just a few days ago this week, Rob Dingman, um, CEO of the you know AMA, friend of the show, he put out a letter to everyone saying you should go out and ride in this time. It is a safe you know you're safe from the virus. And it's, you know, you should get out and ride. And this was at a time when we were going on lockdown. And I can tell you specifically that on the orders for California, and I I assume some of the other states, it says no um, non-essential trips by car or motorcycle. Right. It states specifically. But it also states that you are allowed to get out and exercise, go out and do hiking, walking, right, biking, that you know, that kind of stuff. So we're kind of at odds there because for me, that is my exercise, and it is what I do, you know, as we say for mental health. I get out there and ride. So I wanted to pose it to you guys. I want to hear the pros and cons each side. What do you guys think are the reasons we should or shouldn't well, be riding? Well, I mean, the obvious one from my point of view is you have to look after your mental mental health. We we were just discussing this before everybody else joined in. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit spooked by this. And I think just the fact that you can 
take care of your mental health really gives you a far broader perspective on it. So that side of it is a thumbs up. However, and this is the, the big argument, if you have an accident on your bike and not a single person can guarantee they won't, at the moment we are seeing a lot of hospitals in the Bay Area are really under some pressure because of the COVID-19 problems. So if you fall off your bike and require hospitalization, at best, you are severely adding to an overburdened hospital mm -hmm. system. But at worst is you won't get the care that you actually need because all the resources are being used on COVID-19 patients. Now, I don't think we're quite there yet here in Santa Cruz and Monterey, but CHOMP is certainly very busy. That's our community hospital. I know Dominican's very busy right now. Stanford's overwhelmed right now. UCSF hospital is overwhelmed right now. So, I so by adding to that... I can tell you the argument isn't as much you're going to take up a hospital bed. They've got plenty of hospital beds right now. Yeah, but it's but the care. No, it's not the care. You're taking up the supplies that they're needing. Um, I talked to a friend of mine here in Santa Cruz who works for the medical profession. Their hospital has 15 respirators. They wow. are expecting, with the way that the numbers are going, that they will require 100 within the next month. That is the load that they are expecting. They own 15. So they're already scrambling to get the supplies that they're predicting they are going to need. So it's not about occupying stuff right now, you know. It's about right. this. It's about the resources, the the masks, the garments, everything that they know that they don't have enough of for what's coming. So, I do have some some arguments for that. Um, Emma, when was the last time you were hospitalized from a motorcycle accident? How long has it been? Oh, many many years. All right, Jim, what? bagel. Hmm, hospitalized. I guess it's been about 10 years. Jim? Yeah. Don't don't fucking jinx me. Never. Right. <laughs> I'm knocking on wood right now. I you, probably should have been probably twice, but um, all good. Thank you very little. So, I mean, there's there's that. I mean, I already, we have low. Oh, there's dickhead knock. What? There's knock. Knock just popped up in my screen. What's up, son? Knock, are you here? You can't figure out his technology. <laughs> <laughs> what's up boomer what's up boomer so there is that argument that like um you know we already are not like big risk takers we're not doing things that will put us in the hospital also what is the biggest risk that we face on the road other road users jim so here, here's my take on it is um I think the right thing to do now is as a country, as the world, we've all fallen behind responding to this. In all seriousness, I think we really do need to respond strongly, um, as strong as we can right now. And if, if we're wrong, fuck, we're wrong. Okay, we averted a lot of people dying. Um, but if we, if we continue to trend as we do, as the rest of the world has, and we seem to be, 
then it's not good. We're not prepared and it's going to get a lot worse. And I think the example of respirators here locally <clears throat> illustrates that. And that's what we're one of the many concerns is having um, healthcare professionals get sick and die. Then there's a lot less health care for professionals. And like we said, the system, the system's already taxed. So long, here, I'll give you two quick things on my perspective. One is we should really limit any anything to essential travel. Um, and that's really what we should do for the community. Now, with that said, we will lose our minds. We'll lose our minds if we don't ride motorcycles. I'm sure Liza will tell you how he spent the day yesterday afternoon. Um, but that's the reality is really try to limit it and really try to stay safe out there. Ride your gear. Because like Emma alluded to, if you do eat shit, um, you're going to tax the system and you're probably not going to get care. So I already know people here that have been turned away from urgent care and the ER because their their injuries weren't life-threatening enough. So anyway, that, that's my take on it. We should limit it as much as we can, but at the end of the day, we still really like to ride motorcycles. Hey, Knock, is your, is your microphone working? It is. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes! Yes, yeah. Or should we call you Ding Dong Senior? Sure, why not? <laughs> are, you, are you infected, Knock? No, I'm not. Okay. Yeah, you, um, I didn't... Not I didn't <laughs> I are, you are you Nortino or Serenio? I can't tell. I, I just, I am safe. That's what I am. He's the master <laughs> Avenger. I don't, I don't want, I don't want to get the virus through the phone. That's why I got my mask. <laughs> <laughs> Safety. We're literally face to face right now. So, so, Hey, if we go back to, um, just before the Emma, you said, um, yeah, our biggest risk on the road is other drivers. So I took that thought and said, well, hold on. There's far less drivers. So the risk is even less right now for However, us. the drivers that are out there are far more distracted. They've got the epidemic on their minds. They I mean, I've fallen into this pattern is I've become an absolute junkie for news. I want the figures and I want them now. So I've been going on to news sources I trust 20, 30 times a day. I want to see those numbers. I want to see what's happening in the world. And so, yes, there, there's a fraction of the drivers on the road right now. But the ones who are are far more distracted. And I've heard this over and over again. It's very quiet out there, but the standard of driving is appalling. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the other thing that's very distracted are little kids on bicycles. Oh, and yeah. Liza and I had this conversation earlier, and you know what? That's okay. Things are fucked up. So if little kids are out on their bicycles and they're doing as good as they can with their parents, trying to get outside and ride around, I say the onus is on us as motorcyclists. Right now, motorcycling is a privilege, right? And if we want to keep it that way, then adapt to the reality of the world. And the reality is schools are closed, shit's closed, kids are going to be out on their bikes, people are going to be driving kind of fucked up. Because, you know, I'm still commuting to work. Um, I commuted every day last week, even under the lockdown. And there are less people, like Emma said, and people are distracted. But rather than get upset about it, just adapt. That's the new reality. And if there's kids on the road, then be a smart motorcyclist, adapt to that, and fucking deal. So I can tell uh, you, I mean, I thought, yeah, less less 
cars on the road, it's going to be safer. So in the last uh, 24 hours, here's what I have uh, seen out there on the road. Uh, First off, I saw two young people like in their 20s riding unplated small dirt bikes doing wheelies down the street. Yeah! That's fucking awesome. (laughs) Not awesome because they're going slow because they're on little little dirt bikes. A couple Harleys tried to pass them, and when he came down off the wheelie, he swerved in front of them and almost took out two Harleys. And I'm just sitting there going like, what the hell is wrong with you? Also, um... I was at a wheelie training. I was at a stoplight. So I've been retrieving food. I'm covering two households um, doing running errands. Um, So here's kind of news. My neighbors have the virus. Oh, no. Which neighbors? Which neighbors? I'm not naming names. (laughs) Oh, no. Um, But I knew that was a possibility. uh, Yeah. So they my neighbors have the virus. And then my parents on the other side are high risk. So everyone is on lockdown and I am the runner. So I'm out there on my scooter a lot. And I um, was out running to the store today and almost, I'm not gonna say almost hit a bicyclist. However, I had the green light and I started proceed and a bunch of, a group of people were riding bicycles. And the last one in the group just kept going even though the light had turned green for me and just went right through the intersection. And I was just like, what are you doing? If I hadn't have been like paying attention, I could have taken you out. But um, another, well, yeah, you have more mass than them. It would have been their fault. Right. So, well, but still there's all these bicyclists just thinking that they have the road. Everyone thinks they have the road to themselves now. You know what? So bicyclists always think they have the road. I know. So, but um, <laughs> Jim and I went out for a ride yesterday and we discovered something, a new thing. Uh, nature. We saw m- multiple herds of deers by the roadside. Um, oh, wow. Deers, deer. Um, yeah. Not just that. <laughs> uh, bunnies, cats, um, and we had to stop for turkeys we twice. Saw a herd of mm-hmm. Turkeys yeah. in the road <laughs> who didn't but give a sh- no, you, give and give a no, poop you, about us. You'll see herds of turkeys in the frozen section of Safeway around Thanksgiving time. <laughs> well, they um, almost sprayed us. They were going to spray us. That's why they turned around and I swear to They were going to spray us because they crowed like a, a rooster. We where, a where were you guys riding? That's Liza. Um, we So we did a little urban dirt biking yesterday <laughs> afternoon. It was more like suburban. Oh, right. hi, Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy. It's like one of those YouTube videos. Yeah, she's she's going to be on YouTube. <laughs> um, <laughs> run away, run away. <laughs> so uh, I don't want to give it away too much, but there was a place up in the hills, the, what do we say, Aptos Hills? You should say the hills. The yeah. Aptos Hills that we were going up on roads and we were on some hiking paths in the woods and some, oh, some illegal shit um we went to a place <laughs> that's kind of um re- i'll use the word retreat uh-huh. and team uh, building yeah. stuff would the alternate word for that be private property uh <laughs> i don't know well it is publicly, accessible, publicly accessible private property 
All right. Well, as long as there's no video, it didn't happen, and you're okay with that. Yeah. Um, however, yeah, so that was something when we were riding, um, because I'd seen so many deer by the road, and this was during daylight, mm. I was even more cautious and wanted to ride slower because of so many deer that are out. Um, because there's not as many cars. We're down these trails where there probably are going to be humans walking around. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, it is a big debate. On the one hand, you know, um, a lot of people are saying you should get out and ride. On the other hand, a lot of people are saying the orders say don't do it. And here's why, because you can't risk injury and take up the resources. So I want to see where do you guys stand? Because I, I waffled and I, I made my decision. I'm not riding. You're not riding. Okay. I'm not. I'm not riding. Um, That's because you have a jaguar. You, what, just hang on. I'm not driving. I fight a jaguar. I would drive every day. I'm not driving. Especially either. a running one. Especially one that works. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not even driving right now. I'm hiking. I'm lucky mm-hmm. enough that I've got a great um, supermarket that I can walk to. Mm. And so I'm taking this opportunity, I'm walking, I'm getting in a three or four mile walk every day. I'm getting some fresh air, I'm getting myself out of the house, and I'm putting even more fucking stainless steel shit on my bikes. So it's giving me a chance (laughs) to get the standard of my bikes even higher. Um, But no, I mean, I, I truly believe it. It's an opportunity to show people how it's done. Mm-hmm. Seeing a lot of kids partying on the beaches of Florida saying, well, if I get coronavirus, I get it, is the bottom end of the spectrum. Florida I think, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, to be fair, these kids are from all over America. Yeah. yeah but true. I think it's an example that we can show people, look, this is how you do it properly. It's a chore. I hate not riding a bike. It's doing my fucking head in. But I'm just looking forward to better days ahead. How about you, Jim? What, what's your stance? Are you talking to me? Yeah, you. The one with yeah, no pants? <laughs> well, I, I got on a soapbox earlier, so I won't repeat all that. But I think the right thing to do is, like Emma's doing, is minimize, A, minimize being around other people. I lecture my parents about this because they're back east and people back east are slow to respond. Um, just like our government is. So just know that the gov- don't wait for the government to tell you what to do. I work for the government. Don't wait for them to go ahead <laughs> and take whatever aggressive actions people are telling you, you know, that you think you should do, um, especially contact, public contact. So in that vein, I would say minimize, you know, minimize travel to a, essential stuff. But with that said, I understand, you know, it's, you got to get out and you got to keep your head right. Like today, I just, uh, Anyway, a friend of mine, uh, it was their, their birthday, so I dropped off a birthday gift and uh, took a little ride down West Cliff and around the boardwalk. So I am getting out and riding. You know, I commute to work, so I'm going to start riding. I typically ride the FC1 just because it's a better commuter bike. It just, you know, it just gets, gets you where you want to go. Um, but I'm going to switch over to the Africa Twin uh, tomorrow because it has ABS and traction control. And I think it might rain next week. I, I can't remember. But I figure if I'm going to ride um, – I'm going to ride the bike with ABS and traction control because I don't want to end up at the hospital, you know, honestly, mainly because there may not be care for me there. Right. And, and so that, that's kind of my stance on it. All right. Is you know, take it from that stand, just like here's how you should look at the disease. 
we talked about our virus. We talked about maybe some do's and don'ts. It boils down to this. Act like, act like you have the flu, but you feel mm-hmm. fine. Who do you want to give the flu to and what behavior would give you give the flu to other people? Yeah. That's advice, I think, out there for how we should behave. I mean, everything from gas, anyway, everything. Um, yeah, and beyond that, I don't know. You know, remember also life's supposed to be fun, so find the beautiful moments. There's a lot of beautiful moments out there. Um, you know, you just have to look, and I think it all this time allows for that as well. Like, uh, like we said, kids in the streets and fucking turkeys in the road and all that shit. You know, there's beauty out there. Don't lose track of that. Um, so basically, you're saying, telling people not to ride, but you will. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Okay. Well, hey, well, here's what my thing is my job is an essential service. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ha- I'm reporting to work. I'm minimizing. I'm working less at, at on site. So mm-hmm. I am starting to telecommute more. But I could either drive an old Toyota pickup truck or a modern bike with ABS and traction control. So that's my decision there. Um, and then, yeah, do I tootle around town on, on a dual sport? I do. Okay. So I, that's my problem. I'm being honest. Sure, I, yeah, I know. I own that, but what we should do, and that that that's where I'm following. All right, Bagel, what 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 are you feeling? Where are you standing? Well, <clears throat> so far, um, I have not gone out and ridden, um, but I, I do want to. Um, um, it's it's more more that I need to do work on my bike first, and I just haven't gotten around to it. But <laughs> but but it would be good to get out and re- have uh, have a ride just to clear my head. Um, I have been holding up uh, pretty much the whole time here. Um, and, uh, I do, I do work from home. Uh, so this is actually, this is, you know, like my, my usual, uh, everyday life. So, um, so this is it actually not too much of a change for me in, uh, from day to day, but, um, but it's, uh, I guess the one, the one part that really has affected me the most is that I had to, uh, cancel my trip to Hawaii. Oh, yeah. that's a bummer. Yeah, luckily I was able to get a refund for I think just about everything. So you know, so I'm not not out you know in in uh, from it, but but I was really looking forward to that. So, so but on the it. should you ride or shouldn't you? You're you're leaning on the. I'm, I think I'm 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 for it. Um, okay. I mean I'm I'm fairly confident in my skills as a rider, and um, you know I, I I think it's good to have, especially when when you're spending that much time inside, you know, being on lockdown. It's good to be able to get out and ride, even if you're just riding to the store to get some things. You know, it's it's good to to have that time on the bike, and um, so. But I, you know, obviously, don't don't go aboard. You know, don't go anywhere risky where you could injure yourself because that's the last thing you want to do right now for what we've talked about before. Um, but you know, I think it's important to go out and, and have fun and have some enjoyment because we're we're missing out on a lot of things right now. All right. So you know, so just to to keep your spirits up, I think it's a good thing to have you know in in moderation. All right, and knock. You're wearing your gear right now, so I, I think I, just, I know what your answer is. I just got back from a ride, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, Highway Nine is literally a block from my house, right? And so I, I just recently changed the tires on my Motard, so I'm like, well, I gotta justify this, so I gotta take it on a shakedown ride. And uh, I, I rode the hills for about 35, 45 minutes, you know, and then uh, I'm back home now. That's why I was late, so sorry about that. But yeah, I mean, like, try not to, you know, ride too much. Um, do get out, do cycle you know, bicycle and then try to, you know, maintain a safe distance from everybody else. I mean, I go on runs to go get 
groceries and supplies, but like, just like bagel, like, um, I'm used to kind of living, you know, like isolated a little bit or something. Mm-hmm. And actually I'm kind of enjoying this. I, I hope people, uh, like <laughs> get an idea of what it's like to just kind of be cut off a little bit, you know? So I can yeah. tell you, so here's where I fell on this thing. Um, and, and it's a hard decision because I feel like this is my exercise and for many people it is mental health. So I decided for me that I was going to go ride, but I am really reining in the risk taking. For instance, we were supposed to go on a ride on Saturday, but it was raining. And with the new knobby tires on my bike, it's a bigger risk to go out on wet roads. So I didn't, I didn't go out at all until late afternoon until the roads were dried, like minimize risk even more so than I normally would was, is what I decided. Um, But then like, sorry, for uh, sure. If you are going to go for a ride, don't ride like a dickhead, just be chill. You, You know, there's a, it's like it's like uh, when you're riding in different conditions. There's just you ride for the conditions, right? And right now, you're the conditions are you're not going to get scooped up off the side of the road because you know there's not enough. So here's something here's something I'll say that's really tempting. So um, you know, I've been putting around town, and um, me and Liza were riding around yesterday. If you did want to get out and do a little bit of hooligan riding, I tell you what, now is the time. Everything. No, Jim, <laughs> this is exactly what we're saying oh not God. to do. No, it's important to bring it up because fuck you. You can't tell me every one of you are thinking the same thing right now. No. I did a share wheelies today. You know, I'm just saying. Oh, my God. Emma, anytime you want to jump in here and tell them they're all idiots. You're all idiots. Thank you. That's why we're on this podcast. Yeah, well, you know. um, Motorcycles and smart people. (laughs) I, I genuinely am torn because... You know, I'm not used to isolation. It is doing my head in. And there's nothing yeah. I want more than riding my bike. But I also know that me and the RF900 and restraint don't necessarily go together. <laughs> and I'll start off with the best intentions in the world. And I'll ride like someone's grandma. Then my eyes roll back in my head and I see red and I'm doing 120 on it again. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm practicing. Right. I'm practicing okay. my own restraint. Um, See, here's the yeah, thing, though. I have restraint, and I have you. decided because I have restraint, <laughs> I'm going to allow myself to ride. The thing, though, <laughs> that in the back of my head that does that I feel guilty about is because when I saw those two kids riding and doing wheelies, they don't have restraint. So just yeah. because I do and I want to go ride, that means people without restraint should have the right to go ride. Yeah, me, and me, now we've got idiots out there, and this is why we need martial law. Let me tell you about this. <laughs> <laughs> great yesterday. We went past signs that said no trespassing, no motor vehicles, uh, private property. Please be considerate. We're like, there's no chain. <laughs> my rule when when doing urban dirt biking is disobey all signs obey all chains ropes and fences i feel like we're the tip of the uh the the biker trash apocalypse you know okay so i'm gonna take <laughs> you know what i mean we're, we're that group of people who are just like the rather pillaging motorcycle gang oh my god apocalyptic 
So here was, here was my idea, Knock, you'll like this. Downtown was so empty yesterday. I'm on a dirt bike. I'm like, you can make your own Grand Prix course through downtown. <laughs> like yes, that'll be course. so awesome. Down, oh, dude, you could rip. And you can even go on off dirt and jump off shit. Oh, man. Well, Between the alleyways. You are not helping this debate, just so you know. This is not a good oh, argument. These are but all hypothetical scenarios, okay? Yeah, like if saying. society, like if society collapses and like everybody's yeah. gone, and you know, let's, you know, let's I got that. rope, I've got a knife, I got a motorbike full of gasoline. Oh God, <laughs> you guys are, you're just idiots. Well, you're yeah, just fucking I idiots. I bought a case of Pellegrino and two bananas. <laughs> you, you are the reason why I can't go ride. Because the garage it, is now Barter Town. Who runs Barter Town? Oh, <laughs> oh my God. This is why we can't have nice things. No. Um, so no. I, I'm just going to say, let's take the compromise. The compromise is limit, limit your riding and limit your risk more than you would before. For sure. Okay. Can we just I think, compromise? I think, no, I think that's a good compromise. User noggin. And of course... Now more than ever is the reason why to wear all your gear all the time. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the reason we have not been to the hospital when we've crashed because we've all had crashes, but we all wore gear so we didn't sustain injuries that required a hospital mm -hmm. visit. No, that's not true. Oh. Emma didn't wear gear. She's just so badass she didn't have to go to the hospital. <laughs> that's right. And just means... Uh, it, you leave your gloves on when you're pushing the buns on the gas station pump, you That's know, right. that extra barrier. So, hey, I want to ask you guys, um, I know this is, uh, I mean, a little less off topic about motorcycles and more on topic about what's going on in the world. One of the things that concerns me is that there aren't enough people taking this seriously. Um, yeah. What are you guys seeing out there? I'm seeing, I'm seeing dickheads riding their motorcycles around. That's what I'm seeing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, the past 20-minute conversation has just, has just kind of answered that. You know, it's like, well, it's bad, but it's not going to apply to me. I mean, either you're going to take this seriously or you're not. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing about riding is that it is an isolated activity, so you're you're going to have some amount of safety just because of that. But what really concerns me the most is the response that I'm seeing from a lot of uh, governments, both federally, local, and state across the country. Uh, I really feel like a lot of them are not doing enough. Uh, I'm very concerned that Santa City of Santa Cruz is not doing enough, and that uh, we may have a serious problem here soon. Um, so I don't know how I many time will tell. But uh, I, from all of the reports from what I'm hearing around the world and how uh, just how quickly and the spreads and, and how just how devastating it is in such a short amount of time, I really think that we can't be too cautious about this. And, um, you know, I think we, we need to take, take every precaution possible to keep people isolated, especially in the beginning right now. And we don't know who's infected. Right. We don't have tests. You know, we, we need to... to we need to be as careful as we can to limit the, the spread because the, the the biggest risk is not just people getting sick, but <clears throat> so many getting so many people getting sick that it overwhelms the mm -hmm. healthcare system that we have because, like Leslie, you were saying that we don't have the the supplies available. Right. Um, we don't have beds. We don't have people. We you know if if 
if we have hundreds of people getting sick all at once, Mm -hmm. it's going to overload the system tremendously. So, and and that's going to happen in all sorts of places, you know, all over the world. So you got to do your part to flatten the curve, everybody. Exactly. The the trouble is. Hey, Emma, can you get closer to your mic? Yes. Well, how about that? Ah, So thank you. The, the the trouble is it kind of goes against it's almost goes against what we've been brought up on as American values. This is land of the free and home, home of the brave. So well, well, I you know, it was we're, spaghettios. Well, you know, home of the brave. It's like, well, brave people don't give in to the flu and land of the free. Well, nobody's gonna tell me to stand inside my house. I can do what I want. And so that, that's kind of some of the things that we're seeing. It's like nobody, especially the government, aren't going to tell me to stay inside my house. I'll do what I want. Jim, I'll take that dollars Jim has an example <laughs> that, Jim, can you t- share the story of playgrounds and what you've seen? Oh, um, yeah, well, I'll, I'll echo Bagel's uh, comments that the government's not doing enough. Don't wait for the government to tell you what to do. Where it, isolate yourself as much as you can, you and your family. Um, you know, minimize trips to the store, to the gas station, you know, ATM machines. Um, and the attitude is act as though you're infected and, you know, you have a virus that if you give to someone, you could kill them because that's where we're at. So, like, I'm literally less than 50 yards away from the Costco parking lot, and it's like three quarters full. People are still going about their business here uh, as they normally would. You know, I guess it's a little bit more measured since there's only, they're maybe like only letting maybe a few people in at a time or whatever, but still happening. I mean, life is still going on. It's just at a slower and more. Well, I don't know. Here's what I'll say to answer Liza's question basically, in, in, in broad terms, Government's not shutting things down quick enough. Mm-hmm. And like knock noted, people are out. I'm watching traffic. I'm on a, on a semi-busy artery here downtown in Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. It, it traffic's light, but it's not abnormally light. Sure, on the freeways and all that shit, 17, yeah, yeah. it's lighter. Silicon Valley, where I work, definitely lighter. Around yeah. here, not that different. So I don't know what people are up to, but if, if you're not in California, or if you are even – Take this real seriously. We're way behind the curve. And I won't say what we think. If you look statistically what's happening in America now, it's here. Uh, just look at Cuomo's comments from New York. And I think he's pretty close to what we need to hear. So it's serious. Oh, but what, what I was trying to say is something we've seen with our own eyes. The kids are going to the playgrounds. Kids aren't in school. They're in the playgrounds. They're touching all the equipment. Jim and I were standing outside at the garage looking across the street at the park and there were kids playing on playground equipment hello yeah well part of the part of the thing is it's partly yeah you don't clean the equipment and we know the virus can live on surfaces for a number of days but the other thing is little kids don't understand how to socially distance so if a kid is around a couple of other kids and they're messing around talking like two three-year-olds four-year-olds messing around on something they touch each other which they do then they go to their parents those parents go to their grandparents and people, sorry grandma you're gonna have well, to die and, and well, you know we're joking but not really it's like yeah yeah no, basically yeah and that's what it's that's what everything's kind of distilling down to you have to kind of think beyond yourself and mm. consider others in your life 
some of whom you may know, some of whom you may not know. The chances are if a kid gets it, they'll recover. The chances are if any of us get it, will recover i'm the closest to being at the target group by two yeah. years i feel like but, that's like especially difficult especially with the american culture where but that's it. On individuality you know and then if you add to that a lot of seniors are just honorary old bastards and they do not want to be told what to do yeah yeah and yeah. so you know it's kind of almost a recipe for disaster so all we can do is just do what we're doing, isolate ourselves as much as possible, limit outside. I'm still working yeah. because mechanics are considered yeah. essential because, yeah, well, you know, I'm keeping the bikes going and the vehicles going for people who use them for work. And we're busy. Yeah, we are Phil's really busy. Open. Phil, you know? Phil, yeah, Phil had a, I think Ohio has an order to, they had like the shelter order and uh, Phil said that, uh, uh, his shop is one of the essential services are available to you know mechanic on people's bikes, but he was also showing me footage of a photo of, of a, a scooter shop that was boarded up because they had to close down or I mean shut down for the uh, for the order. So I um, I have elected since the order came. Um, I elected to take the time off uh, last week and this next week. Though my company sent me the letter, we are an exception and mm -hmm. I am expected to be working, but I am taking two weeks off for safety reasons. But um, thank you, Jim. Thank you. Um, hey, at least one uh, good thing about there being less uh, cars on the road, uh, because I had to go to work on Friday and I went over the hill. So I hopped on my Africa Twin. Uh, when your tire goes flat at 80 miles an hour, your front tire. Oh, oh was it your front tire? Front tire. Oh, on, shit, dude. On new knobbies. Oh, yeah. And f went flat, and I was in the left lane, and all I could oh. do was look over, and it was clear, and I beeline straight to the edge and you know i just put on those um sensor caps that tell you what your tire pressure is by the time i got pulled over to the side i had two psi left oh damn so was it a puncture was it a pinch flat do you know it was like an inner tube situation or what was yeah, it yeah we found two scratches on the tube most likely occurred when we did the tire change and mm -hmm. one of them just it finally one of those points was weak enough it it went um so i just started feeling like like you know it feels like you're like in a groove like groove or something like it was mm. tracking weird yeah but at yeah. first i thought maybe it's just the tires at this speed because mm -hmm. it's still my first time right riding the knobbies yeah. and then suddenly i was like oh nope i like i know <laughs> what that feeling is and it was yeah. front and rear brake look over the shoulder <clears throat> coming to a controlled descent and get off the road as quick as possible. So was it, was it the rim strip that failed and, and like the spokes rubbed it or is it, mm -mm. I'm trying to remember. No, it was it, on the tire side. Tire side. Oh, interesting. It was, it was something huh. yeah, probably during the tire change of removing and reinstalling that tube. Hmm. Cause there were two scratches in it and one of them finally had a spot of punctured, but um, yeah. you know, at least that's a good thing. However, you know, you can go back to the argument. 
because I was commuting on my motorcycle, I was a much bigger risk when something goes wrong mm-hmm. than if I had been in my car. Yeah. Well, I had to come, I had to come save your ass again. Yep. And Jim mm-hmm. came and got I'm glad me. I didn't have to ride you two up like I normally have to do. How far were you? How far were you from home? <clears throat> I was on the other side of the hill. Oh shit. Like yeah. on, a, on what were you on? I was 17 and Yeah, and 85. Yeah, 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 I was close to home, but um, yeah, I'm seeing, I'm, I'm still seeing a lot of people not getting it. Um, not only you know you're supposed to um, go through life as if you have it and don't want to give it to anyone, but mm. I'm also I'm I'm doubling down and saying I am also uh, assuming that every child is a carrier of disease. Yep. Well, you can assume that on a good day. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which is why something like, why haven't they closed the playgrounds? Because I've seen kids playing. Yeah. I saw a kid on a swing last night when we were riding. Well, Apparently it doesn't affect them, right? That was kind of the deal. Like it doesn't affect children under X, whatever. But they still. Yeah, that, that's not the, like Liza said. Yeah. <laughs> like little mosquitoes flying around. And- you know. Like I said, uh, slowly, I think the more progressive cities in California are catching up mm. to closing services. Um, but but like the, the issue now is what's the balance? Um, you know, people do need to get out, you know, so they don't lose their shit. Um, like if you notice, liquor stores are still open. Yeah. Weed stores weed are still shop. open. Yeah. Dude, there was a line outside the weed stores these days. So, um, <laughs> uh, so people do need to get out and recreate. It's just how do we do it not only to keep people from spreading it, but also people that are in the service industry, how do we keep them home also not spreading the disease? So I want to bring up a whole new topic, something else that I haven't heard anyone talk about yet. Uh, and Emma, you may be able to uh, give us your opinion on this. Is this knocks Harry back? No, it's his low. You mean the lower part, right where the tramp stamp is? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> No, we already know many dealerships and shops are struggling in this time, the motorcycle industry. Yeah. How many more is this going to knock out? Because already, just in town, we've had certain like restaurants and stuff that just tapped out and said, you know what, we're closing permanently. We know we can't weather this storm, so we're shutting down. Um, Emma, how bad is this going to hurt the motorcycle industry now? Oh, I truthfully i think it's going to be i think it's going to be a fatal blow and i think after this is finished and right now we don't know how long it's going to be we don't know whether it's going to be six weeks we don't know whether it's going to be six months we don't know whether it's going to be 18 months but i think the motorcycle industry as we know it is over and it's it's just it's it's a fatal blow shops like the one i work at now which is workshop heavy it's gonna be fine we're gonna be fine because we work on bikes but the big dealerships who are paying rent who are playing flooring fees because if you've got a showroom full of bikes a lot of people say well you haven't paid for the bikes and that's true but you're paying flooring fees on them every month. You're basically renting the bikes until right. they're sold. And if you've got a showroom with 200 or 300 bikes in, the flooring fees are astronomical. 
And then mm. you've got all the lighting, you've got all the staff. Shops that were on the brink mm-hmm. will be hemorrhaging money. Yeah. I think of all the shops I know, I think Cleveland Moto is going to be about the largest shop that's going to survive and thrive. Because the thing that's keeping Cleveland Moto going right now, for those who don't know, Cleveland's usually got about 50 or 60 bikes in stock, and they've got a very vibrant workshop, and they're in a very, very vibrant blue-collar area. So it's plus, plus, plus. There's a lot of interest with bikes in the downtown Cleveland area. It's a great shop. It's got a good reputation. The workshop can carry it through when the sales are light, and the sales can carry it through when the workshop's light. Shops bigger than that, I really think, like Chaparral is a great example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Chaparrals of this world, and I don't want to m- mention any shops in, in this immediate area because people will just think I'm bad mouthing other shops. Factory dealerships. But factory dealerships yeah. right now, the bigger they are, the harder they're going to fall. Although Chaparral has a, quite a mail order operation too, so they may they may actually do all right uh, because a lot of people will need uh, mail order supplies, especially if dealers go out of business. Not right? enough they, to support that size business, right? Yeah. And they, I mean, do they, they own may. Their property though? I mean, that's really I'd imagine is the biggest right. overhead. Well, yeah, well, they may need to cut back. For I mean, sure. they're just their assets alone. Um, I, yeah. I agree. When we had the crash, was it like oh nine or something? When was that last big market crash? Oh wait, oh, wait, oh, wait, oh, wait, oh, wait right? Um, I remember that's when I had my Harley for sale. Didn't matter, and they were telling me it doesn't matter what it's worth. Nothing is selling for over ten grand. Yeah. Yep. So it doesn't matter if it's a twenty grand bike or a twelve grand bike. It's a ten, now a ten grand bike. Mm. Um, and I I agree with you that I think now it's like any there people are going to be looking for things under like five grand, like that's going to be the market. So people who are selling newer used bikes like Cleveland Moto, um, I think are going to be the ones that survive. The ones that are sitting on stock, um, uh, a new stock. This is going to be a um, fatal blow. And the the thing we don't know right now, I don't want to be the voice of doom and gloom here, but the one complete variable is there's there's a good chance health-wise... Oh, look, there I am. Hello, Uh darling. Hello, hello. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's a great chance that all of us doing this podcast right now, health-wise, are going to come out of this just fine. But then we talk about our finances. They might be something else completely. Yeah. Because we don't know how much money there is going to be around after this. Mm-hmm. You know, the government signed this stimulus package. We're going to be getting a check for 1200 bucks one month and maybe well, another one another month. You know, that's just great. You mean the but, dirt bike money? Yeah. But... <laughs> You know, it's it. Uh, I feel like the answer to that is going to be political because there are other countries who've effectively just stopped loan payments, all that stuff. You know, rent that ain't uh, going to happen in America. States? No, probably not. Yeah, because America's America's not based like that. It's yeah. we, you know we're land of excess. We are the land of excess, and it's well. going to be. But even in those other countries that have stopped rent, that have stopped that. 
we simply don't know how much money is going to be available when we come out the other side of this. So yeah, no, nobody's thing, making a commitment. Well, yeah, because here's the thing that right now uh, we're seeing mass layoffs. We're seeing mm-hmm. companies shutting down because they're, for the foreseeable future, life is not going to go on as normal. Um, people aren't going to be going out and, and doing things to conduct normal business. People are still going to need to get groceries. People are still going to have their cars and even bikes worked on. <clears throat> but a lot of what was our, making up our economy, <clears throat> excuse me, discretionary is, is, spending yes i mean that's all going to be suppressed so so there's going to be lots of people out of work lots of people who, do, who won't have money who are going to need to if for whatever savings they do have they're going to need to use that just to to survive i mean um, if they even have a very savings, tough right? time yeah if they even have it yeah and you know so and and people who are you know just getting scraping by i mean they're going to be in really tough shape you know it's going to be a really tough time for a lot of people and things are, are going to change dramatically yeah. So I I think it's too soon to, to really know how it's going to affect, but I think 100% it is going to affect the industry even more. Um, it's going to, people have to pivot and change. Bottom line, yeah. they have to pivot and figure out, you know, how to provide the services needed. What I, I don't know. I don't know. It concerns me. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on it and emma certainly keep your ear to the ground i'd love to oh i will hear what you know i assume we're going to get more and more like shop announcements you know that dealers are closing Um, like i like i say right now next week i am busy all week at work Mm. i've got more bikes than i know what to how to fix next week really that's Um, awesome well yeah because people need their transport and we tend to do very well when money is tight because rather than buy that spanking new bike people are making do with what they've got which may need up ongoing repairs so we kind of weather the storm the reason why i think cleveland moto is open and the scooter shop is boarded up i suspect the scooter shop didn't have a workshop yeah Mm. it's as simple as that and yeah. Here's something I'll throw into the argument because I love you dearly, Emma. You know that, and you're very important to me. Darling. But Emma is like the doctor of the motorcycle world. Should Emma get sick, then we're, we're fucked. So I think when I, when I talked about adapting to the new normal, this isn't 9-11 where it's going to be over. We need to learn how to adapt to this. So just as importantly as we learn how what essential services are, and as someone who commutes on a bike to work, right, I'm down with that. <clears throat> But we also need to keep Emma safe. So what things do we need to be aware of when she takes delivery of parts and signs for it or opens a box? What does she need to do? Um, you know, when she interacts with customers at work, what does she, I mean, you and I would kiss and hug all the time and I know I'm not alone. Oh, no, 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 no. Do you do get around? I know. And that's okay. Um, but anyway, <laughs> but like, like I said, I think the other thing with, um, with mechanics and, and shops is how do we keep them open in a way that's safe for people to access them. Well, and right now, unfortunately, it's you have to be really careful about that. Well, funnily enough, I had a talk with this, um, both with Mike, my boss, and a couple of other mechanic friends that I've got in the industry. And the thing that really keeps us safe 
is we work with some pretty <laughs> ding dong senior. What? <laughs> um, we work with some pretty toxic chemicals, and mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're kind of used. Ding dong senior does. Yeah, we used to being in a in in a fairly hostile environment in terms of what we're working with. We're working with some pretty heavy duty stuff. And so we generally we take precautions. You know, I always wear gloves at work. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I wear coveralls. I make sure that I'm very careful what I breathe, when I breathe it. So um, I think the mechanics generally are going to be okay. Um, I'd rather be a mechanic than a grocery store worker. I think those guys are absolute heroes mm. right now. Total heroes. Restaurant people who are keeping their stuff to go. I've been supporting recently. I've been just getting stuff to go and like tipping fat because you know, like they yeah, because that's what that's what we need to do. Um, but yeah, I'm not actually. I'm more concerned about catching it from just some random. It's encounter. a child. A child, I tell you. A child, because you know <laughs> me. Look at those doorknobs. Um, I can't see a child without hugging a child. So, um, <laughs> you know. That's how I'm gonna get it from work. It's pretty unlikely, yeah. but you know, at the moment, none of us know this. None of us really knows how it's transmitted. Well, make sure, um, make sure you stay safe and healthy, because I I might need a valve job. I'm pushing fifty thousand miles. Okay, well, I'm pushing. I'm I've just turned fifty-eight, darling, and I need a valve job. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. You and I have pushed things before, so happy to assist as necessary. Thank that's you. That's a whole lot of lapping. Yes. <laughs> Not like the lapping bagel got when we were in Portland. Dude, oh. that was me and lapping right there, son. <laughs> so, actually, I'm glad you brought that subject up because um, I have maintained a friendship with Luna. <laughs> and I, I am. I actually had a very, very nice conversation with Luna two days ago. And yeah, of course, she, she's out of work and at home. Yeah, and she's bummer, man. Yeah. So, um, yeah, she's occupying herself doing art and crocheting. Nice. So, yeah. Right. So, every, everyone's feeling the pinch, including exotic dancers. Is she, uh, is she selling things to, or something like that? I could use a plant hanger. Yeah, I think. <laughs> Dude, I'm totally down with supporting people that are trying to make make it through this fucked up time. Yeah. No, um, she showed me a picture of a lamp she'd made with, uh, I think, like Schedule Forty pipe, and it was fucking awesome. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. Okay. So give, give her my best. <laughs> oh no, I'll pass on your hellos, bagel. Yes. So, um, I know this is out of order. We usually do the emails at the end, but we got a great email that's a good topic that I wanted to share and we can answer a question for somebody. Uh, this is from Steve McMillan. 
Hey, Steve. And he says, hello, misfits. Love the podcast, the humor especially. Good time to have a ton of moto projects keeping me busy. I'm trying to sell one of my completed projects that I've enjoyed writing now for a couple of years. It's a 1983 GPZ 550. Oh, I got a sweet spot for these. I took it down to the frame, powder coated it, replaced lots of bits, rebuilt brakes, carbs, etc. So it's in great shape all original in stock 16,000 miles fun bike but the roads here in texas tend to be longer and straighter so i don't ride it as much as its bigger brother so i've had it on the market for a few weeks and i got an interesting trade offer for a 1985 bmw k100 rs if you guys don't know what that looks like, oh, I do. Google a K100RS. It's the same thing as an RT, but it doesn't have the lower fairings, basically. Well, yeah, and the upper fairings a bit smaller. A little smaller, yeah. That yeah. so it's uh the bike is blue in excellent shape, twenty-two thousand miles, drive shaft, spline, and exhaust system replaced three thousand miles ago, and it's been serviced. Hard cases included. It's a quirky bike, but from what I've read, an excellent sport cruiser that'll go a hundred thousand miles cared for that is true i'm in the love it camp i think as far as it looks uh as as looks go plus i have this idea closer to a hazy dream that someday i'll tour the u.s by motorcycle or at least do long rides to visit dying relatives visit national parks eat at crappy diners etc but i just i just can't make up my mind if the trade is really worth it Mm. oh i think it is you know, I mean, the K-series, it's a very polarizing bike because at the time it was, it was, it was brought out, um, BMW had made, them, made their name making air-cooled flat twins and, and nobody really knew what to make of this water-cooled brick. Um, and they came in two flavors. They came in the brick. What's that? The flying brick. Yeah, they came in the 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 brick briquette, and the briquette actually is probably the sweeter bike of the two. But that doesn't mean that the brick itself is a bad bike. They're great bikes, and very much of the time, um, I don't know. I mean, GPZ five fifty is probably a couple of a grand bike. And I would say the the BMW, if it is a genuine twenty two thousand mile bike, there's a ton of them out there, but there's a ton with like a ton of miles yeah. on them. So, so I, mean, like, I don't so, know. I'd do it. Yeah, the BMW. I mean, it. it, it I think it. I mean, I think it's a it's a high mileage bike. Um, it's got like dual front brakes, right? I mean, it's got mm-hmm. front disc. Yeah. It should have. The, did they have ABS on the eighty-five? I know I had. No, a, no, no, no. I had no, a ninety-three. No. It was ABS, an RT. Yeah, that was pretty much the last yeah. of the lot. Okay. Yeah. But I would think if uh, it's been maintained and the oil has been changed reasonably regularly, especially if it has a fairing, you know, something that'll give you a little bit of wind protection. Yeah. It's, it's got this the shorter fairing. Yeah, but it has something that mm-hmm, helps. Mm-hmm. So yeah. my opinion. Um, with, I, I mean, I had one of the, like I said, that blue uh, K75RT, and I did cross-country on it. Um, and I love these bikes, but I won't touch a BMW of this age because there's so many rubber bits and seals and black boxes that can go wrong and can cost the value of the bike to fix. 
So even though I think you have, I think you've had fun with the GPZ. Sure. Pass it on. Take this other bike. I think it'll be a fun bike to ride around. I don't know that this is going to be your cross country bike. That's my only thing. Oh, Jim's just left. Yes. Finally. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I think you can do a lot better by getting like, uh, you know, um, a newer a Gen 2 Concourse or something that's going to be a much better bike. Yeah. You can get, yeah. you can find, or even the, the Hondas, um, you know. Well, there's much better bikes out there for sure. In the Definitely. like $3,500 range, it's amazing what you can find. You can get a 2015 Aprilia 200 V4R for about 75 now. And that's a fucking hell of a bike. And it's like, it's $8,000 crazy well yeah but i mean we're talking you know for the same value of what he can get for this gpz oh for sure no i'm um, just saying like it's a good time to get used bikes is- i think you know what i'm gonna say it's a crapshoot at this point it could go mm. horribly wrong or it could go horribly great yes those bmws the ergonomics are amazing they are great for traveling and they can do a hundred thousand miles but um Emma, just think of all the little things, all the little things that can leak on the caliper seals and all those kind yeah, of things. Yeah, but you know what? We already know he's capable of doing that because he's done it to his, his GPZ. And once you right. get down to the nitty-gritty, BMW, you can use Volkswagen fuel injectors because Quiet Matt already did. We know they fit. Mm-hmm. It's got Brembo calipers on it, and it's cheap and ch- cheap as chips to get, get bids for. I say take the risk. And the reason I say take the risk, right now, he's got a bike he likes, but he doesn't use because it's not suitable for what he wants. The BMW is perfect for what he wants. You know, long, straight Texas roads. Buy it and enjoy it. Yeah. I think you said don't take the risk because you're not the one that's going to be riding it. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's a good trade. I think it's a fair value trade. Yes. Yeah, and another thing too is if, if it's been a garage cat bike, you know, then it's more likely that all those seals and bits are going to be good right. because they're not going to be exposed to the elements. And, so, and so you know, based on the bike too, obviously. 20, 22,000 miles is not high mileage by any stretch of the imagination. You right. see those bikes regularly come up with 90,000 on them. I think Eliza's right though, because um, I knew someone who had a, a Mercedes a turbo diesel of the same year, mm-hmm. uh, the wagon. It was a pretty bitching car, but all the rubber bits and plastic parts started becoming an issue. So um, at least make sure they're available uh, because because Liza's right. They are going to be a problem, but if you can turn a wrench and the parts are available, you know, there you go. Yeah. And as okay. always, Someone just passed me a note since we're not in the podcast. Oh, Oh, no. Oh, no. We have video going, Jim. Nobody knows what's in these notes. Can you you reach out? Yeah, sure. I'm going to reach out and grab it. Okay. 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 Open it up. Okay. I'm opening it. I'm opening it up. (laughs) Look at it. I'm looking. Jim, no! God dang it. <laughs> is, that, is that Laguna Seca? That looks like Laguna Seca. <laughs> it was fun, Willow. It was, it was the guys who were down there the other weekend, and they, they had some new uh, landscaping down in Terminal 10. Mm. I decided to draw that in there. Yeah. No, it was a schematic <laughs> of the corkscrew on a rainy right. day. 
If, right. if, if you do enough gardening, the turn looks a lot wider and longer. Is that what it is? This yep. is why we don't do video, just so everyone knows. <laughs> this is why. Um, so I, I, I have another email to read. I'm going to save that because we have something great coming up right now. Um, Emma, are you ready? Are you ready? I am ready, so, darling. You know, trying to keep with, uh, I'm really trying to straddle the line between talking about motorcycles, but acknowledging what is going on in the world. It's, it, th- I mean, this is global. Um, so it's globular. I, don't, I didn't want to just like talk about, you know, things that aren't related to what's going on. So I found something that is sort of related, a little adjacent. Um, I asked Emma to do a history hole on, uh, military police and first responder motorcycles. Cause I yeah. find this very interesting that there's a long history of motorcycles out there doing that. Um, and there's actually, they're being introduced even more so now. I know like in London, they've got first responders on bikes uh, so they can get through the traffic. Yep. But something I've always wondered, what exactly is the difference and how does it work? Because these are not just regular factory oh, bikes. God, no. no, 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 no. So Emma, why don't you tell us uh, more about it? So when you... Um, talk to me about this. And we really came up with a gel of the idea last week. I mm-hmm. thought, what am I going to call this? And I thought, I'm going to call it working bikes because it really encompasses everything we want to talk about. These are bikes that earn a living in critical situations. And it's really been going on since the birth of motorcycling. Yeah. You see, Motorbikes have always been very highly regarded for agility, speed, and being able to go somewhere where larger vehicles can't. So as a result of that, they've always had a place in the military. They've always had a place in the police. And right now, as we're seeing, as the equipment is getting smaller, they've got to replay they've got a place as first responder vehicles. So we'll break it down and let's talk about military. Yeah. The military and their relationship with motorcycles first. So um Oh the, my god, hold the, on. Can everyone stop moving? You guys are driving me nuts. Uh do me a favor, if you're gonna move around, just mute your you can tap the screen and you can mute. Because I want to hear, as I think other people do, what Emma's saying. Thank you, guys. All right. oh, it's all gone. Go ahead, Emma. Military bikes. Tell me about it. So, um, military bikes really got a huge start. And, you know, I've talked about this before within individual manufacturers um, in the First World War. And... What bikes were used for in the First World War was mainly dispatch duties. So back then, this was over 100 years ago, radios weren't always reliable. Lines of communication weren't always reliable. If you wanted to get a note from perhaps the front line back to the general in the safe zone, the easiest thing to do was to give a handwritten note to a motorcyclist and he would ride it back there and hopefully ride back with an answer saying, we're going to send troops. Um, 
an early form of first responder bike as well. You'd often get the medics riding motorcycles mm -hmm. because they could carry a small amount of kit. Now, remember, military medics always carried less equipment than their civilian counterparts because their job was to keep the victim alive for just long enough that they could get them to care. So you'd have a military medic with maybe morphine, bandages, splints, tourniquets, cauterizing equipment in a very, very compact pack. And he'd be riding around on a Triumph or an Orton, one of the early manufacturers' single-cylinder bikes with these tiny skinny wheels and a belt drive going through muddy, rutted roads um, in France or Germany or wherever. So really, that's where the military bikes really got their start. Um, ooh, ooh, ooh. Yes, Eliza has a question. Uh, Bagel, which I know that there was, was it the Cushman or the Scooter? Which is the one that was made to go around the potholes from the bombing in the road? Um, you mean the Vespa? Was that the Vespa? Well, the, I remember the part of part of the design of the Vespa was was that it was very small and nimble to be able to maneuver around potholed roads and yeah yeah. Well, yeah. We, we well we've kind of got ahead of ourselves because we've immediately jumped to the Second World War, yeah. and you know it's as good a time to do it as any because we are talking about military bikes. Mm -hmm. um, now, the Second World War, in terms of how it was fought equipment wise compared to the first. I mean, it was light years ahead. The equipment itself was a lot more sophisticated. However, there was still this incredible value of motorcycles, not just for dispatch purposes, but if you put a sidecar on a motorcycle, it was a great platform for light artillery, for machine guns, for carrying ordnance, even for troop evacuation and withdrawal. The Germans used them very, very effectively in the desert campaign in the early part of the war in 41-42. And there were these BMWs and Zundap 750s, which were very robust flat-twin motorcycles with big balloon tires. And you'll see just squadrons of these things Everyone dressed up, looking like something out of Star Wars with their full desert gear on. And each one has got a 50 cal machine gun on it. So very effective means of transportation. Um, in England, again, the motorcycle and sidecar was a good form of carrying light ammunition, ordnance, evacuating troops, and dispatch to the front line back from the front line, just as it was in the First World War, but the bikes were getting better. Um, in civilian times, you know, military bikes, they've continued to be developed. In England is, is a great example. The, the army has always taken a great pride in their dispatch riders. And since the Second World War, they've main, maintained really a crack dispatch team called the White Helmets who do displays, precision riding. Mostly they used to be based on Triumphs. Now, of course, they've gone with a slightly more modern... Um, I believe the British Army are using Bombardiers right now, or they were for many, many years. Um, but motorcycles and the military still have their place. And the American military still use them. A couple of bikes which would be familiar to you, Liza, 
If you were to get an M103 M1, um, what is that? I mean, uh, is that a bike or a license? Uh, what no, is it's a, it's a bike. The M103 M1. I'll give you a clue. It's painted green. <laughs> um, I mean, the only motorcycle that I know is active military use right now is Zeros. Oh, well, we'll come to the Zero. Okay. No, the M1 the M103 M1 is KLR650. Ah, okay. Oh, not the diesel, right? No, 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 no. Okay. Not the diesel version. No, it's the gasoline-powered one. And the modifications between the KLR650 that you ride and the military yeah. one. So I went into what they'd actually done to this bike. And you might be surprised at some of the modifications. You wouldn't be surprised that the frame is beefed up. You wouldn't be surprised that, um, oh, we're in Jim's shed of doom. Hello, Jim. <laughs> Can you see my shed of doom? It's not the shed of doom. Yes, we're in, we're in Jim's shed right I, I'm now. I'm loving your story. It's, it, your story is wonderful. Oh, fantastic. Um, so the bike itself is beef, beefed up. Hello, kitty. Meow, meow. <laughs> um, but as well, a lot of the specification of the bike has been simplified. And it's not just for the obvious reason. You think, well, you've got to maintain this yeah. in, in the field. You want to make it simple. Everything in the military comes with an instruction manual. Everything. And every vehicle in the military, because as, as you well know, in this comes first-hand account, we have a military mechanic as one of the misfits, my dear friend Michael McCarthy. Right. And mm -hmm. so everything is designed for mechanics of varying skills to be able to repair. So in terms of the KLR650, they've simplified the specification. A lot of the stuff that was metric is imperial, so you don't need as many tools. Right. A lot of the more sophisticated parts of it, and it is quite hard to believe that the KLR has some sophisticated stuff on it, has been simplified. The carb has been simplified. The exhaust has been simplified. The actual chassis parts are a lot more robust and a lot more simple. It rides like a tank, but essentially it's a bike you can take anywhere. Um, you mentioned the Zero. The Zero is very interesting. They do a dedicated military model called the MMX, mm -hmm. um, which is the military MX. It's very, very prized by special ops people because, any guesses? Exactly. It's silent. It can go very quietly and very stealthily where larger vehicles, even electric-powered, because believe me, special ops have got some electric-powered larger vehicles for that reason, but the Zero is so stealthy and so quiet you can really move around on it so that takes us up onto the military side um the police motorcycles police have loved motorbikes even earlier than the military were enjoying their bikes so would you like to guess what year the first police motorcycle was sold in the u.s 
1907. You're actually quite close. It was 1911, and it was a Berkeley Police Department. Wow. And they got them. They got themselves a Harley. I do Interesting. And for exactly the same reason that the military liked them, the police liked them. The light. They're maneuverable. They're fast. Now, remember, in the early part of the 20th century, cars, yeah, you could maybe get 30 or 40 miles out of miles an hour out of a car. Even the earliest bikes were quicker than that. Right around the turn of the century, if you wanted to go quick, you got a motorcycle. It took a long while for cars. It really wasn't until the late 20s that cars started catching up with the ultimate top speed of bikes. So it was a natural choice for police departments. Bear in mind as well, if you have a fleet of police motorcycles, you need a smaller garage to house them. They're inherently simpler than cars, so they're cheaper to maintain. And one person can look after a multitude of them, so they were natural choice. So in the early part, let's we'll go up to about the mid-20s. These were very rudimentary. This was when Harley Davidson was making single-cylinder bikes. Indian weren't really providing motorcycles en masse to police forces yet. That would come. But in the mid-20s... Um, Car manufacturers, they really got it together with performance cars, and cars started going quite quickly. And so they needed more sophisticated bikes to cope with this. And this was really the birth of the Indian 4, which was a favorite of a lot of police departments because it was so damn fast. And that was a kind of an offshoot of a development of the Henderson, which was the first four-cylinder bike. And these were bikes that were really specifically designed, not necessarily for specifically for a police department, but with the police in mind. These were big, heavy bikes. And they were all able to support a wide range of accessories that the police might need. Has anybody ever seen one of the original police sirens from back then? They're amazing. They're, they're mechanical. Oh, and the yeah. way it's in the wheel, aren't they? Yeah. Well, what it is, if you Flip imagine it, it, it's a siren with a gear on it. And the way the, the policeman would operate the siren is he'd have his feet on floorboards and then he'd have a pedal at the back of the left floorboard and he'd kick the siren into the tire. And so by pressing on the pedal, it would push the siren into the tire and the, the tire would spin up the siren. So you had this very, very distinctive siren wail. And that's how the early ones worked. Instantly, they used that right up until the 1960s, the late 60s. So all through the 1920s, you were getting more sophisticated, faster bikes to cope with the traffic. What else happened in the 1920s, aside from the Depression? I think you lost your virginity. Exactly. Um, prohibition. So you've got all these gangsters driving around in high-powered cars, and it's the classic American gangster story. You've got all the gangsters, you know, speeding down the road in the Lincoln, being chased by the yeah. Indian Four. It's great. What's more American than that? Can't catch me, copper. Yeah. Yeah, you'll never take me alive, copper. Yeah. Who was it who did that? 
Edward G. Robinson, yes. the greatest gangster of all. Um, so all through the 1930s, the 1940s, and the 1950s, here in America, it was a development of the same products. Right up until 1955, Indian was still a big player, and a lot of the larger police forces still chose Indians. They were, by the 1950s, they weren't as sophisticated as the contemporary Harley-Davidson product. Indians never made the jump to four-speed bikes. They were always three-speed. The Chiefs were always three-speed. They were bigger, they were heavier, but they were a great platform for all the accessories that the police forces used to bolt on. By the 1940s, police radios are starting to become a lot more common. So the bikes had to support a radio, a screen, sophisticated lights, means of communication. And what was the one thing that American police always carried with their bikes? I'm curious now, like now performance is playing more of a part. So, like, how is it? How is police and shit like that adapting to what kids are, are out on the street as far as brakes, as far as speed and power, suspension? Well, it really reached. Everything was kind of okay through the. There was a shift at the end of the sixties, and. With the influx of these very, very high-performance Japanese bikes that were beginning to flood the market, a lot of the traditional American police bikes were starting to get outclassed. There's a great film, um, which we should all revisit, called Electroglide in Blue. <laughs> and it's the story of a motorcycle cop and this love-hate relationship he has with his big, fat, pig of a Harley Electroglide he has to ride on every day and he loves it but he hates it as well and it's it it was it was made I think in 1969 so you know if you were a if you were a motor cop say in 61 62 you're riding around on an Electroglide you might have got an Indian that's five or six years old and i mean you can still get parts for it but the manufacturer's done but you're chasing after you know dodges you're chasing after kids who might be riding the odd british bike but you're going to stand a chance by the time the 750 honda came out in 69 we've talked many many times about how much of a change that was you can be on the greatest electric light in the world but you ain't going to catch that guy Mm. So then you start think you, then you start seeing, particularly in America, and I'm going to deal with Britain separately, starting to make some decisions about what bikes they're going to ride. It wasn't Japanese at first, although it's quite common to see Japanese bikes as police bikes now. Back then, so now we're in the very early 70s. The police bike of the performance police bike of choice was the Moto Guzzi Eldorado, and San Francisco were one of the first, PD were one of the first who actually took on the Eldorado, and it was still big, it was still heavy, but it was quicker and more agile than a contemporary Electroglide. 
a few of the more progressive agencies were trying out BMWs, but they really weren't that common. It was still, the bike of choice was still the electric light. But of course, the police were putting pressure on Harley Davidson to come up with a better product. The irony is for all of us, whether you, whether you like uh, police motorcyclists or not, pressure from the police departments has actually made our motorcycles better. So it's, it's kind of helped develop the breed and makes brakes better and make handling better and just make the bike itself better. So we're really kind of getting close to modern, to where we are right now. So if you look at any police department right now, you're going to see the traditional Harley Davidson. Salinas is a great example. They use Harley Davidson still, and it's always great to see a white electric light with a police logo on it. San Francisco PD, they're still on electric lights, which is great, but they've got other bikes. Monterey, they're using ST1300s, which is another great police bike and developed by Honda as a standalone police bike. It's the ST1300P and the P stands for police. It's sold worldwide as a platform for police machines. Um, you still see the occasional Moto Guzzi. Um, about five or six years ago, Moto Guzzi really had a push to try and get officers onto the Moto Guzzi uh, Norj, Norway. Not entirely successful. You know, the thing is with police departments, they tend to be quite reactionary about what, if they have a product that they like, they'll stick with it. And so this was an unproven product at the time. And they thought, eh, I'm not too sure about that, but it was a great bike, really good bike. Um, and the BMW, of course. And again, the advantage with a BMW, it was designed from the outset. The R1150P as a police bike. And this is something that the, the Japanese have really, and the Europeans have done amazingly well, is they've taken a dedicated platform and said, this is going to be the police bike. And you ask, Liza, what is the difference between a police bike and a regular bike? So the BMW, the, the uh, Honda, dedicated, designed as police bikes. And I you say, well, hang on. I've seen the Harley-Davidson police, and that is true. It is, but it's still a modified electric light. The ST1300P, and there it is. That's the Harley-Davidson electric light police, the classic police bike. Looks cool as shit, though. I'll give oh, you, you absolutely. I tell you what, if you're a red-blooded American and you're walking down the streets of any city and you see a couple of motorcycle cops pull up on electric lights, it's the coolest thing ever. You know, it's just the whole... Boots, like the horse-riding boots? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, what's more quintessentially American than that? Yeah, none we of it thought... makes any fucking sense, but yeah. So what, what is the difference? So the difference, there's a great line in the Blues Brothers when... Jake is trying to explain why he traded the Bluesmobile, which was a Cadillac, for this piece of crap Dodge. 
And he says, it's got cop tires, it's got cop brakes, it's got cop <laughs> suspension and a heavy-duty transmission. And that's largely the difference. Motorcycle police bikes are designed for heavy-duty operation. We've both seen how they ride them, particularly, you know, in slalom. They use them very hard. They use the brakes hard. They use the suspension hard. They're loaded up with equipment. They have a tough life. And so, in particular, the suspension is modified. Again, in a lot of ways, it's simplified to the civilian product. So it can be maintained in a pool environment by people who are maybe not dedicated motorcycle mechanics. So in a lot of ways, they simplify it. Um, the back of the frame is very heavily reinforced because it's got a lot more equipment to carry. And, well, they can change it around a lot because a police bike only ever needs one seat. You're never going to see two people on a police bike, so it doesn't need that. The way that the manufacturers like BMW have been successful is their bikes have a separate subframe at the back. So the main frame loop at the front is same as the civilian one, but the police frame loop that goes on the back is just completely different. And in a lot of ways, it's a cage that encompasses all the equipment you're going to bolt onto it. Um, the exception, funnily enough, was the concourse. And the Concourse was sold very successfully as a police bike up till 2012. Mm -hmm. And then they had some pretty devastating electrical fires. And That's bad. <laughs> yeah. It yeah, was good for business. Bad. But it, it happened. A lot of the highway patrol units still <clears throat> love the Concourse because they're so damn fast. But they weren't actually done by Kawasaki. They were modified by a third party, and they're one of the few bikes that do so. Was it um, Banggood? What's that? Was it, was it Banggood? It, they probably did have Banggood wiring on it. Banggood modifications? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I did want to talk a little bit about England, because we had our own thriving motorcycle industry um and again a lot of the big manufacturers did dedicated police bikes i'll just deal with three of them and they kind of did wildly different things you had oh my god jim relax <laughs> so you had the you had the triumph saint and the Triumph Saint was uh, a 650cc bike. It was based on the Tiger. And it was used really as an all-round bike. It was used for some high-speed pursuit, but it was mainly a round-town bike, general city patrolling. It came with saddlebags, top case, radio, fairing, had a siren, lights, always in white, very iconic-looking police bike. Then you had Norton. Norton came out with the Interpol, which we used to cruelly call the Interplod. A lot more for a high-speed pursuit. It was designed as a faster bike. It carried very similar equipment to the Triumph. 
but it was far more suited to high speed work. So if you were on a motorway and you saw a police bike, chances are it was going to be an Interpol. And the, that difference between the two is quite critical, and I'll come to that in a little while. The third bike, which was equally popular, but in a very different way, was a tiny little thing called the Velocet LE. And it was a tiny, near-silent, 200cc flat twin. And it was almost scooter-like in appearance. Mm. Um, very, very popular with local constabularies. Is that because, a step-through? Yes. Yeah, okay. It almost looked like the, the, you know, the cultural grandpa of, like, a Honda Passport. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. A lot more rudimentary. But it was very popular with local law enforcement because it was nearly silent, so you could sneak around on it. It's very <laughs> cheap to operate and very simple to operate. And so basically you could take a rural policeman, give him one of these little Vela sets, and he could ride around his parish very, very cheaply and easily and basically be a scene force. We'll move on to the early 90s. And the British motorcycle industry had gone through something of, I would say, a, a turbulent time. Triumph had gone. Norton had gone. Triumph were trying to come back, but they were in no position. This was long before the Triumph that we know now. They were really founded 94, I think, was when they made their big push. Um, Norton was still going, but they'd got everything invested in a rotary engine. And naturally, because of their history with the police force, they wanted to get a lot of the police back on Norton bikes. And frankly, we wanted to see the police back on, on British motorcycles. Since the industry had folded... Most police forces had gone lock, stock, and barrel for the for the BMW, which was a great bike. But, you know, it's, it's, it's always a source of nation, national pride to have your own police force on a domestic product if you can. And this is why I brought up the difference between the Saint and the Interpol. Norton drastically misread what these bikes were going to be used for. Because if you go back to the days of the Interpol, the Interpol was a high-speed freeway, motorway machine. And really, the very, very first generation of Norton rotaries were designed for that purpose. It was an air-cooled rotary engine bike. It was extremely high performance. It was nearly 100 horsepower, we, which was a big was deal this? for the day. What year was this? Late right. 80s. And the police forces they sold them to used them for low-speed city work. And there was a very, very famous or infamous afternoon in the middle of June, I think, 89, when West Midlands police destroyed seven Norton rotary engines in one weekend, just burning them up, using them up for low-speed work. Oh, and no. so it's a classical, classical case of the manufacturer making a product 
and either not being clear how the product should work or the police force fundamentally misunderstanding how that product should have been used. And so what the repercussions of that were is Norton had this not perfect but developable, developable air-cooled rotary engine and they went back to the drawing board and redesigned it as a liquid-cooled engine, which is an amazing feat for a tiny engineering firm and cost God knows how many millions. And they kind of soldiered on for a few more years and had some notable wins at the TT with some of their bikes. But it really, that police contract really would have saved them. But it wasn't to be. And we all got the news about what happened to the latest incarnation of Norton last month. Right. So yeah. if you look around police forces in England right now, still got BMWs because, as Jim, you quite rightly point out, BMW is custom made for the job. You're going to see plenty of STs, 1300s, not so much concourses, um, and I believe there is talk of them getting perhaps back on triumphs right now in certain police forces, which would be great. I'd love to see it. So that's basically the story. Oh, and I wanted to mention we, th we immediately assume police bikes as being big, white and black, flashing lights, high-speed bikes, but it's not so over the rest of the world. And if we look at motorcycles in different countries sure britain is very similar to america germany again very similar to america but when you get out into the eastern countries malaysia and to a certain extent even japan and hong kong you see a very very different need for police bikes often they're smaller they need to the roads are rougher it's almost like a dual sport bike to get where a larger street bike can't. Um, and the manufacturers know this. BMW, they offer the giant 1200, 1300 police bike, but also for a lot of different countries in Europe where the roads maybe aren't so good, they are, the 800s are just as good. And then if you go um, Spain, I know, particularly in some of the rural routes, have a lot smaller dirt bikes specifically for that purpose, to ride around on the rural roads. So, you know, the bikes are reflecting the roads that they're going to be used on. And so, really, we've talked about army bikes, we've talked about police bikes, and we've really gone from the birth of motorcycling itself right up until modern times. But you wanted to talk about first responder bikes, didn't you, Liza? Yeah, I like blood bikes, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and this is something that, I mean, is relatively modern. I mean, this is something that's happened in the last 30 years or so. And there's, there's, there's various reasons why it's happened. It's a lot more common in Europe than it is in America. I believe it's going to come to America. But the reason it's far more common in Europe is, is, is twofold. Anybody who's traveled in a European big city in rush hour will know how congested they get. I mean, everything really grinds to a halt. And if you need to move things around in a city quickly, 
the only way to do it on a motor is on a motorcycle. And so if you ally that to the advances that have been made in medical equipment, the things now that used to occupy a huge proportion of an ambulance are now suitcase size. You can incorporate all this, all this medical equipment onto a motorcycle. And the motorcycle of choice for um, medical first responders is the STs, starting off with the uh, ST11s mm -hmm. and then the 12s and the 13s. And everything you could possibly need to attend to either a traffic accident or um, an injury at home is going to be on one of those bikes. In the left saddlebag, it's all the medical equipment you can possibly need. Because if, if we think about the medical equipment that the medic carried in the First World War, well, a lot of it's still going to be the same, but a lot of the more sophisticated stuff is so compact now. And these bikes even have defibrillators in the right-hand right. saddlebag which is now so compact that you can actually unhook the defib and resuscitate a heart attack victim. And it's more importantly that they can cut through the traffic with a simple task, keep the patient alive until the ambulance can arrive. And that might be 45 minutes if it's London on a rush hour, but they've got everything they need to, to do it. Um, and the blood bikes, again, are very, very, uh, very, very interesting. I mean, there's demand for, for blood and plasma all over the UK. And the easiest way to get it around in a congested city is by bike. And so these guys are mostly volunteers. It's a wonderful thing. You get your bike kitted out. It looks like a police bike, but it's got a blood bike all over it. And what you do is move blood itself or live organs mm -hmm. from one hospital to another. And it's becoming more and more common. And again, you know, BMWs and STs are the bike of choice to do that on. So that's about it. Working bikes. What do you have to say about that? I think that's pretty cool. And I think um, we're better off for it, especially, like I said, in congested cities. It, I can't believe it took this long to get first responders onto bikes because they can get there first. I mean, now you know, let's look at other situations like, um, you know, fire or, you know, you know, they're not on, on motorcycles. Maybe they should be. Well, Here's one, here's one thing I'll chime in, um, kind of to bring it into the present tense, is that um, we're looking at what other people are doing in the motorcycle community. And right now, one of the things that's happening is adventure riders. There's a lot of people spread around the world who are traveling the world by motorcycle, right? We, we know enough of them. We interview them. They come by the garage. And um, so I'm seeing what, what what's going on with that community. And right now, one of the things is there, how, like, how can we help? How can motorcyclists mm -hmm. help spread food, you know, help spread medicine, be couriers in the world at the same time, not being um, spreaders of disease, but contributing in a way where motorcycles can be helpful. So I think there's something there to talk about. Yeah. And we didn't even talk about uh, like in Africa, how they're using it, giving them to doctors to get to yeah. villages that vehicles can't get to. Remember we saw that bike that Rob Talbot has and it has kickstand on both sides. 
I love that. That's so cool. <laughs> because the ground conditions are so poor, you can't always just put down the kickstand and set up on one side. You may well, be. I have, a, I have a quick survey. Yeah. Can we do a real quick five oh, second survey? Oh, geez. What do you think is the best? What would be your police bike if you could pick it? Africa Twin. Right. Go urban, anywhere. Urban or a uh, highway patrol. So here's, you, you got it. So not high speed highway, everything else. Oh, well, can I, can I change that to the zero? I think it is so yeah. cool how stealth it is. Yeah, I would have to go with the zero, too. You can ride yeah. it in yeah. buildings. It's either you want a zero or some sort of like uh, KLR or DR. Like the San Francisco PD has DR650s, I think, don't they? One or two, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, okay. But they're, they're primarily for chasing around parklands, you know, chasing mm-hmm. after micri- miscreants over sort of less than tarmacy conditions. Um, I, I'll tell you what, I think the best uh-huh. in-town police bike ever was, and I owned it, PC-800. Um, hmm. oh, the, oh, my God, the ice cream machine? The ice cream machine. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Uh-huh. I think it was, a, it was an underdeveloped bike. If yes, you'd have, Im- if you'd have improved the cooling on that bike and put fuel injection on it, I think it's unbeatable. Absolutely. Well, imagine, unbeatable. imagine being tasered by a person that rides a PC eight hundred. Indignity. I can think of nothing. I can think of nothing better. Tasered by a marshmallow. Hey, and, um, and, and also, well, before we, before we finish, yeah. though, I also want to mention we didn't even uh, touch on the one police bike that is owned among our crew. Oh, your scooter. Yes, right. <laughs> I owned a 1974 Vespa Sprint that was originally owned by go. the San Francisco Police Department, which was bought along with the fleet of Motoguzis you uh, mentioned. Right. Nice. And, you, you know, I didn't get into scooters either with the military or yeah. um, police. Every single bike has got value. And remember, I say the same caveat with all my history holes. All I've really done is just tickle your fancy. <laughs> Do some research. There's so much history out there. It's amazing. I could waffle on for hours about this, but that's going to be your homework. Thank you very much, Miss Emma. I always oh, you love, are so, I, I think so we welcome. love I think we love your history holes as much as the other listeners do. Hey, can I add one thing? No. Really? All right. Do Go it, ahead, Jim. Do it. <laughs> We're on the topic of military bikes. Well, two things. One is my uh, police bike is the DR650. I think it's perfect. Secondly, is there's our sailor. Hey. hey. All right. Oh, yeah. Oh, Two yeah. machine guns hunting subs. <laughs> We're talking about submarines, not sandwiches. Nice. She's hunting everything right now. I'll tell you yeah. what. <laughs> um, hey, got another email real quick. And this is from Heather in Maine. She says, hey, Misfits, I'd like to submit a couple of local bike shop recommendations. And I think this is more important than ever. So I'm going to put the call out again. We did this before. I'm going to do it again, especially now with everything going on, as we talked about earlier. Um, Let us know who are the good shops out there so we can make sure we can support them, give them business. She wants a shout out to Street Cycles in Falmouth, Maine. Um, 
it, it, they're owned and operated by Dwayne Snow and has been in operation for several decades. It's a small shop and they really care about their customers. Their service department and parts department are top notch and they have a no pressure sales floor. It's the kind of place you can go on a Saturday for coffee and donuts and talk bikes. And maybe one of the Suzuki's or BMW's on the floor will catch your eye. On top of all this, within Street Cycles is Surf and Summit Motorcycle Rental. Yeah, we know Surf and Summit. So if you're visiting the Pine Tree State and want to see want to see it by two wheels, you can pop in and ask owner Steve about renting one of his bikes. Hey Steve. So you can go there Steve! to surf and summit motorcycle.com. <laughs> also, uh, motorcycle depot in Aurora, Colorado, right across from Buckley Air Force Base. Family owned mm. full service shop with great used bike selection, motorcycledepot.com. Thank you, Heather in Maine, for those. And you know, when a woman yeah, is thanks, Heather. recommending a yeah. shop low pressure sales that's always good because a lot of women don't feel comfortable going into shops so it's especially important to hear from the women out there uh one other quick announcement um knock would like everyone to know that he did not design the new t-shirt what (laughs) no i did not why I don't know. Uh, she, uh, Liza had something else to drew it up. I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. Yeah, I was busy at work, man. He, he, yeah, he's been busy, and okay. I wanted to get yeah. this done. Um, so I got someone else to design it, and I think it came out great. Um, yeah. You can go to our Facebook page and see it. So uh, big reminder, to get one of these, there are limited edition shirts. Go to patreon.com slash motorcycles and misfits. Support us for $5 or more a month, and you'll get a T-shirt. It's as simple as that. So I'm about to put the order in, so I need to get that last push of people uh, joining Patreon so they can tell me their size uh, shirt, and I make sure I get them noticed. Yep, there's the last limited edition shirt um, that bagels. You know, Liza, yep, right I'm, I'm, I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, let's open up a few more slots. What do you get for $10, Patreon? subscription. What do you get for ten dollars? I want some Polaroids of Emma. I want some Emma Polaroids. Eleven. All right. I, I, I eleven bucks. <laughs> I will open up a few more slots. So, um, yeah, I will open up a couple more of the Ask Miss Emma at ten dollars a month. You will get access to reach out to Miss Emma directly, and she will answer you, answer all your questions about how to fix your motorcycle. And she's very Can thorough. Can I speak to that for a moment? Sure. So around here, motorcycle shop fees are a hundred to one hundred and twenty dollars an hour. Oh yeah. What what Emma does? This is thank God for her. Is when we go to troubleshoot. <laughs> She will she will tr- sh- cut your troubleshooting from two or three hours or days to like two or three minutes. Check these two or three things. So for ten bucks a month, you will someone will tell you try this, this, or this, and if one of those things don't work immediately, you're fucked. But at least you won't be weeks doing it. So it's the best ten dollars you could ever. Spend. So I gotta tell you. Um, I I had a lovely email um, from Bill, who's one of our Patreon subscribers. Thank you, Bill. And he's been getting his his cruiser back together, and he's done a lot of work on the carbs. And he sent me a very distraught email, and he said, oh, God, I think I disturbed something. It won't start. I'll push the button. I'll push the start button, and the headlight goes out, but I don't Mm. get anything else. 
And I said, okay, Bill, your bike's got an interlock, which basically means it won't start if it's not in neutral, if the clutch isn't pulled in, if the side stands down. I said, in this order, check your neutral switch, your clutch switch, your side stand switch. Two minutes later, he said, I've got a bad neutral switch. I just started the bike up. Boom. There you He's go. He's riding. And he'd been, you know, he'd been messing about with it for a few days. So it's worth it. You know, um, if I can save you some money and get you back on the road, I'm never happier when you're riding your bike. I'm actually going to do it. That's I'm what I live for. I'm going to increase my Patreon from $5 a month because uh-huh. I've been doing it for a long time to $10 because I do have a question that Emma will save me both time and money and it'll be sand like uh, therapy for me during the time. There you go. But <laughs> the only way you're going to get access to that secret email is with a $10 a month Patreon subscription. Um, oh, and guess and- what? You all still get the T-shirt. Yeah, you're still going to get a T-shirt. So how I, fucking cool is that? I just opened up five more spots in that. It's Great. limited, so that Emma can handle the onslaught of questions. Fucking texting. So I just added five more. So right, and I, I want to remind people: this is not a one question only. I will stay with you until your problem is cured. And as hard as it is for me to diagnose a bike at the end of an email, I'll say, try this. If Mm -hmm. it works, like in the case of Bill, well, that's just great. If it doesn't work, don't be shy. Email me again, say it didn't work. What should I try now? And we'll come up with a new list of things for you to try. You know what would be interesting? I I would love to hear someone send a video with sound. So you could diagnose, ooh, do this real time. Diagnose a carburetor issue real time with somebody. There's a, there is one problem with this. Even the sweetest sounding motorcycles sound like absolute crap over a phone. I don't know why it is. It picks up all the wrong noises and muffles out all the right noises. Well, try, it over, try it over video. Try it over what, video I think, what I think would be more fun with a video is if the owner of the bike approximates the noise that their bike's making. <laughs> so I'll get some guy going, well, it kind of goes, wubbada, 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 wubbada. And I'm like, oh, you mean wubbada, 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 or uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Oh, my God. That's quick, just a quick and clack. All right. Exactly. All right. So... Um, on that note, yes, thank you very, mu- very much, Emma, for offering that. That is now open. Again, you'll still get the shirt. So check out the design on our Facebook page on Recycle Santa Cruz and go to patreon.com slash motorcycles and misfits to become a supporter. Have we have we said this podcast is going viral? Uh, so, and, you know, in closing, I, I want to say... Um, we got warrants. This can't go viral. On closing, I want to. I'm going to say, get out there and ride. Ride safe. Ride cautious. Ride protected. Yep. Yeah. Just yeah. That's that's where I'm. That's how you should be riding anyway. But you know, wise words. Um, should we do this again next week? 
we're sure. gonna we're gonna keep going and we're gonna as long as you know, we're in lockdown we're gonna do this um it, it uh it might be a good time to you know uh become a pothead who knows it's, you know <laughs> the weed dispensaries are open yeah man yes they are <laughs> and get in touch with your uh, creative side and everyone please be safe take it seriously i know i've heard people say like they don't know anyone who's gotten sick i have sick people within 50 feet of me right now it's happening and they are not diagnosed they are not one of the numbers because they're no longer giving tests to people here unless you are admitted and very very sick yeah, and, and in Santa Cruz County right now, officially, there are 15 diagnosed cases as of Friday. Mm. There's a whole lot more than just that, I guarantee it. Yeah. And just, again, practice as if you are sick and don't want anyone else to get sick, and also that all children are carriers of disease. Yes. Wise words from the Lysa. You know, we're... In, we're we're in for something this is probably the largest thing in any of our lifetimes that's going to happen yeah this 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 is actually going to change the course of human history uh this is an unprecedented time we're living through so um be careful but also be in awe of kind of the changes that we're going to be going through it's going to be uh an adventure to say the least yeah you know worst case scenario the whole the age of pandemics thing it, we're living through that now. Like every two years, something gnarly like this happens. It might get worse. Who knows? But hopefully not, you know? We'll see. Exactly. And if you did not know, the garage, the recycle garage has also been closed. Mm-hmm. But I am available by appointment. So actually, Char- Charlie and Micah came over today yeah, to I'm do curious, what, uh, what was the action like today? What, what did you put out to the public and uh, what happened? Oh, me? Well, like I said, Charlie and Micah came over. I just opened it up and then I left. Uh, they wore gloves all day. One other person showed up to say hi and I told him, you know, we're closed. But didn't you, you spray him down with Lysol? No. Mm, Jim? Uh, didn't you advertise, like, don't come down to the garage unless it's really necessary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right. that's why I said it's basically by appointment so that people can. We are available to help people in need who need to do maintenance on their transportation. Did people respect that or did people come like, that's why I said one person showed up and I sent them away, but they just came by to say, hi. It's like, yeah, sorry. Yeah. And just, and just a reminder that at Seaside Superbikes, (laughs) we are open for business. Yes. That's Seaside Superbikes. Seaside Superbikes for all your superbike needs. Yes, Seaside Superbikes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> all right. So I guess, um, yeah, <laughs> I guess it's time to wrap up. You know, thank you. this is when I usually say thank you for listening, but um, it's even more important now, you know, thank you for, for being part of our community. Um, it's more important than ever and hey go on over to the recycle page we'd love for people to share what they're doing and how they're doing things and if you want to get in on the debate should we be writing or not go on over to our recycle page on facebook i would i want to hear other opinions as well um but yeah 
it's it's tough times. Um, we're we're going to be sticking with it and and bringing you our podcast and our entertainment. So I hope everyone enjoyed the show. Thank you, other misfits, for uh, for calling in on Zoom. I hope this worked out. And uh, yeah, yeah. Stay safe, everyone. So on this that, this is note, like my yeah. This is my second co- awkward conference call this week. So yeah, I think, I think all of a sudden I am going to subscribe to Knox um, Only Fans page. <laughs> Yeah. You mean his fan page, singular? No, you don't get it. You forget it. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, we're ready to get out of here. This is Liza. This is Emma Darling. Mm, bagel. This is Knock, I guess. Oh, yeah, Mega Jim. What's up? Fourth Knowles Posse in the house, son. You guys are idiots. <laughs> All right. Dog Senior to you. <laughs> we are out of here. Cool, cool. cool.